Well, I wonder if you've ever met someone just wherever and later found out that they were actually someone, um, someone significant, perhaps someone you should have known who they were. Uh, and if that's the case, I hope you treated them well. I, uh, when I was a missionary many years ago, one of my jobs was to collect people and deliver people to the airport. And one day I had to go and collect this person and, uh, and I did that and you know, got into a conversation as you do and uh, asked who he was. It wasn't a name I recognised. Asked how long he'd been in the organisation, in the mission. It turned out decades. And I later found out that he was one of the two founders of the mission. <laughs> I had this guy in my car and I didn't know who he was. I'm still a little embarrassed about that to this day. Let's read this morning, continuing in Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark 6, verse 45, notes are in on the church website. If uh, you just front page, sermon notes, uh, you'll, you'll see it there. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognised him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe and everyone who touched it was healed. Well, Jesus had just taken his disciples away. The plan was for a break into the wilderness on the other side of Lake Galilee. Uh, They had had a demanding schedule. They weren't even able... To eat, But when they reached their destination, they discovered that all the people had sort of got wind of where they were going and run around from all the regions uh, around to the other side of the lake and beaten them there. And so Jesus had done what Jesus does, and he shepherded that flock. And at the end of the day, he worked the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and he fed 5,000, well, men plus women and children so he could give them physical bread as well as the spiritual bread he'd been giving them. And then at the end of of the day, as the sun is setting, he sends his disciples off in a boat to the other side of the lake again, to Bethsaida, uh, and he dismisses the crowd, and then he goes up to the mountain to be in prayer with his father. Now, we're not told which mountain. This happens a few times in in the Gospels. might be actually a reference to Mount Sinai. Now, Jesus didn't go to Mount Sinai. That's a long way away. But it's a a type. 
It's a place of revelation and communion with God that Jesus goes to. And certainly the disciples are about to get a revelation of Jesus and who he is. So in the next scene, Jesus is up the mountain. The disciples are out in the lake somewhere. And and Mark really emphasises that Jesus is on the land. The disciples are in the lake. They're not together. They're separated. He says the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Jesus isn't in the boat. And what do you know? It's not going well for the disciples. The wind is against them and they have to work hard for every metre of progress they make. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to teach them something. And the thing is, the disciples were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They were in the place, they were where they were meant to be. They were doing what they were meant to be doing, crossing the lake in the boat, or at least that's what they were trying to do, but the circumstances were against them. And how often do we step out in faith and obedience? We're eager to follow Christ's call to love or to serve or to tell others the gospel, to step out in faith, and then the winds start to buffet us. We face opposition from people, or things start to break down, or we get sick, or we get busy with work or family, or we can't find enough volunteers for the ministry we feel the Lord's calling us to start, and it feels like it's all work and no progress obeying Jesus. And you might wonder, well, did I even hear God right? Am I doing the right thing? Well, you could well be. I've discovered in this world that even when I'm following God's call, the world doesn't revolve around me and my agenda. We have an enemy who wants to stir things up for for us, particularly for the faithful follower of Jesus, any chance he gets. I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right things, but I need a different solution or else I'm going to run out of energy if if this situation keeps up. That circumstance is real. Well, Jesus may not be in the boat with the disciples, but from his vantage point on the mountain, he can see what's going on and what they're going through. He sees them straining at the oars. He sees their distress which is where things start to get a little weird in this story. At its narrowest, Lake Galilee is 13 kilometres across. And so the boat is probably miles out. It's dark. Jesus is up a mountain somewhere. The mountains tend not to come right down to the sea. So how can Jesus possibly see something as small as a little fishing boat on this big lake in the dark, from inland a little bit. How can he see that? The conditions are hostile. Jesus is a long way away. But Jesus is on the mountain with God and he sees. He sees. He sees when the headwinds are buffeting you and when you want to give up. But then the question is, well, why even put us through that? Why put the disciples through that? Surely Jesus knew what was going to happen. 
He knows he's going to fix this problem. Why not leave in the boat with the disciples or take them up the mountain with him? He's done that before. Well, I think it's because Jesus is setting them up for a revelation of his power and his authority. And this is how it has to happen if they're to really appreciate what he's doing. If they're going to see Jesus in his glory, he has to have spent time on the mountain. So very early in the morning, it's still dark. He comes towards them walking on the water. And that's strange enough by itself. But then the way Mark puts this, Mark says he wanted to pass them by. He's coming towards them on the water and he wants to pass by them. What is going on in this text? Well, surface reading is kind of weird. It sounds like he's just going to keep on going. But Mark is probably making a link to the Old Testament. Uh, And Old Testament reference is about God. So in Job 9, verse 8, we read, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And uh, when the prophet Elijah met God on Mount Horeb, Elijah went up to the mountain, he's burned out, he's afraid. And we read in 1 Kings 19.11, Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. The Lord treads on the waves of the sea. The Lord passes by. Who is this Jesus Well, the disciples have good reason to freak out. God is visiting them. Um, This is a divine revelation or a revelation of Jesus' divine nature. But in the first instance, that's not what they they think. They think it's a ghost. It's a ghost coming to finish us off. And there were tales and superstitions about this. But no, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus And he says, have courage. It is I. A little statement that's actually probably theologically loaded. Now, in the Greek, it is I can just be a way of identifying yourself. Hey, guys, just settle down. It's only me. It's not a ghost. Calm down. But when you read the Greek translation of the Hebrew, where God is on the mountain or uh, with, with Abraham, uh, not Abraham, with Moses. And Moses says, who do I say is sending me? God says, I am. These Greek words translate that from the Hebrew. Yahweh, the I am, is passing by the disciples. God is treading upon the waters. Then he gets into the boat with them and the wind ceases. Well, back in chapter 4, we saw Jesus calm the storm and, and that was threatening to capsize the boat. That doesn't seem to be the case here. The, the storm doesn't seem to be violent. It's just buffeting them and making progress difficult. But I think there's a similar lesson here. Jesus gets in the boat and everything is okay at that point. I think here Mark is making a more obvious point about the lordship of Jesus. So as I've been working through, Mark, I'm really enjoying a commentary by uh, the late Bible scholar, sadly passed away, 
uh, William Lane. And he says, the proper framework for understanding this unusual episode is provided by the Old Testament. There the power of the Lord over seas and rivers, storms and wind is repeatedly proclaimed. As the creator of the sea, God subdues it and treads upon the waves in demonstration of his majesty. Because he is the Lord, men do not need to be afraid, no matter how the sea may rage or the wind blow. Jesus' appearance on the Sea of Galilee must be appreciated as a reality and a sign that the living God has come nearer to men in the revelation of the Son. Jesus had no intention of simply passing by his disciples in a display of enigmatic glory. His walking upon the water proclaimed that the hostility of nature against man must cease with the coming of the Lord, whose concealed majesty is unveiled in the proclamation, I am he. Well, after Jesus gets back into the boat, uh, my translation says the disciples were completely astounded. No kidding. But the word astounded there actually implies that there's some terror in this. They're not just amazed in a, wow, that was amazing man kind of way. They are completely flipped out. They do not have a category to put this whole event into. Even though they have seen Jesus doing some amazing stuff. Mark says their hearts were hardened because they hadn't understood the previous miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. They'd just seen Jesus work another miracle. Jesus is so cool. He does all this stuff. They hadn't understood that in blessing the food and in feeding the people, Jesus was reenacting the Exodus event of Jesus feeding the people of Israel manna in their 40 years in the desert. They didn't understand that he wasn't just a miracle worker. He was that, but he's not just that. Here is their Messiah, the anointed one from God. But I don't think we should be too hard on the disciples. I mean, put yourself into their situation. How are you going to react? What, what are you going to do? You see someone walking out on the water and then the wind just dies down as soon as they get in the boat and it's like what am I even seeing here how would we react with confusion as they do or as faith with faith as obviously the the story challenges us to do we understand that Jesus is the God of our circumstances not just the God of a storm on a lake in a story a long time ago. Well, when the boat finally lands, they're way off course. They were headed to Bethsaida, uh, to the east of Capernaum. So Bethsaida is sort of at the top of Lake Galilee. And then the wind blows them off course into the region of Gennesaret, which is to the west, sort of on the other side of of the lake. They're, they're way off course. Now, whatever plans Jesus had, we'll have to wait. Thanks, guys. You blew it. Doesn't They didn't really blow it. Jesus, people still seek out Jesus. Jesus still ministers. I actually wonder if this wasn't even part of Jesus' plan. Jesus had said, head to Bethsaida. But surely he knew what was going to happen. Surely he knew they weren't going to wind up there. Um, they, the storm may have waylaid the disciples, but I don't think it took Jesus by surprise. One iota. 
And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this story? Well, for one, I think there's a profound encouragement for us here. You know, whether we see Jesus or not in our hardships, Jesus sees us. Jesus sees you, whatever you're going through. In 2 Timothy 2.13, we read uh, Paul's writing to the, uh, about Christians. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Jesus has us. Now, that doesn't mean we can abandon faith. That's not what the passage is saying. And in fact, it says we must die with him. We must endure. We must not deny him. So we're not talking about someone who's an apostate who walks away from faith altogether. But when we don't have it all together, when our faith is small, when we don't know if we can trust God in this and where he is or what's going on, or we're confused or we're terrified like the disciples, he is faithful. He's got us. You know, sometimes we sort of have this idea of faith that it's almost like I have to have faith in my faith. I have to have a faith that's strong enough. And we do need a strong faith. But what's the object of our faith? Is it the strength of my faith or is it the strength of my God and his faithfulness to us? He may seem far off, but he's not so far. He's near. He's got us. There's also an encouragement here, I think, that his plans and purposes will work out. We may not arrive exactly where we're headed in life, but God's got it in hand. I, I don't think many people actually do arrive where they're headed in life. I don't know about you. Maybe you entered life and, I mean, you know, adult years, not, no one enters life with a plan. But we develop plans and dreams but I suspect most of us are carried along by circumstances outside our control. And I, I reflect on my life. This is certainly the case. Particularly the last decade, the 2010s, were not what I envisaged for my life, let alone for my life as a pastor in ministry. If I was honest with myself, I probably envisaged myself, like a lot of young pastors, do leading a large church. I mean, who doesn't want to be successful in your career or whatever? And that happens to be mine. I very much doubt that was part of God's plan, but that was sort of my dream. But like many blokes, guys, they say that a lot of us struggle with de depression when we enter middle age and into our 40s because all those dreams we had as young people suddenly vanish and we realise life isn't going to be what we thought. And uh, so like a lot of guys, I struggled a bit with depression, didn't really realise that's what it was at the, at the time, but... I didn't expect to not be in full-time ministry, but I spent most of that decade uh, out of full-time ministry, a little bit out of, uh, out of ministry altogether. Spent a little bit of time doing this and that. Didn't expect to find myself in the funeral industry, which I'm still in. I didn't expect to have a fairly serious heart condition. So now I've got a pacemaker. Um, while we were working through that, that and I had to stop ministry in another church that I was in. Basically, I was way off course. This is not what I planned for life. This isn't even, I'm not even sure this is the destination God had told me to go in. But you know what? I'm pretty sure none of that phased God. In fact, I'm very sure that through all that, even at the times I felt faithless, 
he was faithful. And we may feel like, what's going, this isn't what God wants, this isn't what I plan, this is, God's got it. And so William Lane says of this passage, at an early date, this episode was interpreted as a pledge of Christ's aid. It provided the martyrs with the assurance of Jesus' saving nearness to all who believe and obey him. We may not be martyrs, but whatever circumstances you find yourself in, even if it's not what you envisage for life, even if you're off course, even if you're not quite sure you understand who God is, what he's doing, what's going on, Jesus sees. He may not come in ways we fully appreciate or understand, but if we look with the eyes of faith, what faith we have, we might just see him in his glory as well.